success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. And we have another invincible guest for you today. Julie Allen, an author and sustainability awareness activist, is the CEO of Mary Rose Boutique and founder of the Mary Rose Foundation. Julie started Mary Rose Boutique because she recognized the need for a clothing shop that focused on body acceptance, self-love, and helping all bodies feel beautiful and confident in their clothes. The three pillars of her boutique include sustainability, inclusion, and social justice. Julie, welcome to the She's Invincible podcast. We are so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our chat today, Cami. Thanks. Oh my gosh. I just love what you're doing in the world. I love, love, love it. I can't even tell you how much, but we're going to, we're going to let that unfold as we chat today, but let's do this. Let's just jump in and tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? Yeah. Awesome. So it, I want to first start off by saying there's a lot it's like you look at somebody's life, right? And you're like, wow, how did that person get to where they are? And it's like, there is a lot of things that kind of go into just like becoming the person that you are and doing everything that you're doing now. So I struggled with an eating disorder from the time I was 10, 11, 12-ish years old um, up until my mid-20s. So about 15 years of my life was spent in a really deep um, eating disorder, like in and out of treatment. My entire teenage years just spent in and out of treatment. And so for a really long time, like I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I just was trying to survive. And when I finally made the decision to choose recovery, that was really when my life started to change. Um, when I like finally stood up and I said, like, I don't deserve to be in this much pain. I deserve to heal myself. I deserve to find recovery. And this was in my mid twenties and I didn't know, I, you know, of course in your mid twenties, you don't know what you want to do. And so I ended up going into healthcare. I went into the healthcare field um, because I knew I love to help people. So I did that, but I didn't really love it. You know, I was in physical therapy and I worked um, just rehabilitating people after illness, injury, whatnot. And then I had my first son. So I had my first baby almost five years ago. He'll be five, gosh, in less than a month. And I can, it's just wild that he'll be five already. But I remember I was going clothes shopping and I was six weeks postpartum which a word of advice, never go clothes shopping six weeks after you have a baby. Like even without a history of an eating disorder, I feel like that's probably one of the worst decisions you can make. Like it was just a really bad idea. Um, but really bad idea turned into being one of the most awesome things I've ever done because it was in that sitting room, you know, tears in my eyes, boobs leaking, like just like a total mess, right? Baby screaming, like the whole, like just, you can just picture it and just mom melting down because nothing fits either. But I remember thinking, why does like, why do I feel so bad about my body right now? Like, I just had a baby six weeks ago and all the messages around me in that fitting room in that mall in that store was that something was wrong with my body. Nothing was wrong with my body, nothing at all. And 
So it was in that moment that I decided, I was like, well, I'm going to open up a store that's going to be different. And here we are five years later, we still have Mary Rose, um, Mary Rose Boutique. So that was a long, long roundabout way to kind of give you a little bit of summary on where I've came from and where we're going and all that stuff. So I love it. So tell us about the foundation. So, you know, now then you started that, right? So yeah, yeah. tell us a little bit about how you went from, you know, the, the dressing room to the store and then to a foundation. So uh, it took about a year to open up the storefront or to open up the store. So I had that moment in the fitting room and I decided I was going to do it. And I went to my partner and I said, hey, I, this is what I want to do. And he said to me, okay, you just had a baby. Let's slow your roll, lady. Um, but I did it. So it, was, it took about a year of preparation and learning because I came from healthcare. I had zero business background. Like, I don't even think I took business courses in college. Like there was, I had knew nothing about business, right? So it took about a year of learning everything. And then I opened the boutique and then about six months or so into owning the boutique, there was just this feeling inside me that I wanted to do more. The boutique has always had the mission of being a safe, inclusive, welcoming place for people in all bodies. But that wasn't enough for me. I wanted to make a bigger impact and I wanted to do something that incorporated everything I cared about with body acceptance, with empowering people in whatever body they are in to feel beautiful and confident and because of my history with anorexia and bulimia, I have a real soft spot for people with eating disorders. Um, treatment is so expensive. We're talking almost two grand a day, $2,000 a day for people to go to residential treatment if they don't have insurance. And even if they have insurance, we often have such high deductibles in our country that it's just, it's still inaccessible, even if you have insurance. Um, and my parents, thank God for them, but they had to take out a second mortgage on our house in order to pay for my treatment when I was growing up. And I always had this idea, like, I'm going to pay my parents back someday. Like someday I am going to pay them back. And I never dreamed that it would be in the capacity that it is now, but I am so, so thankful that it is. So the Mary Rose Foundation works to fund people's treatment for eating disorders. So we were established in six months after the boutique. So that, my gosh, three and a half years ago, the foundation's been around. Um, and it helps fund treatment for people struggling with eating disorders. Um, in 2020, we were able to give out three scholarships to people that needed treatment. And we all know what 2020 has been. Um, mm. I think we're in 20, we're well past that now, but it still feels like that's where we are. Um, but we were able to do three scholarships back in 2020. And this last year in 2021, we really focused on getting our education and outreach programs set up. So we now have youth, uh, youth focused art groups that are focused on body positivity, body acceptance, all of those things to kind of hope to prevent eating disorders in addition to funding treatment for them because you can fund treatment all day long but until we're hitting that prevention side with our kids and until we heal ourselves until you and i can look in the mirror and not berate ourselves like we have a lot of work to do and so we have a parent um parent support group in addition to our youth art group um for the foundation. So yeah, and a portion of all sales at the boutique go to the nonprofit too. So they are very, they're totally two separate things, but they are very intertwined. And it really is what keeps me going on hard days because as we all know, business can be really, really challenging. And if you don't have that mission, for lack of a better word, if you don't have that thing that's keeping you going, like it's going to make you going to make you crumble because there's a lot of bad and ugly to be involved in running a business. So the foundation has always served as my um, like light post for the boutique. I love it. Oh, my gosh. And I, it feels crazy to ask you this, but what makes you invincible? I feel like you just told us <gasps> all of those things, all those things. Yeah. So everybody has a story. That's, that's one thing that I talk about a lot in my book is that we all have a story and we all have different experiences. Each of our experiences are valid and each of our experiences brought us to the person that we are today. And all of those things combined, when you take everything that's happened to you and you keep getting up, 
you just keep getting up. That really makes you invincible. It doesn't like you're gonna fail. Like that's not, it's not really an option of if you fail, it's like, if you're going to get back up again, that's the option because especially if we're, if we're talking about in the business space, like I can't even tell you how many times I've failed for, you know, so, so many. And it really is this like up and down and twisty curvy thing. And the only thing that matters is you look at yourself in the mirror and you get up, Mm -hmm. you get up. That's what makes you say here. Yeah, Yeah. I agree too. And that's what we say here. Get back up. It doesn't matter. Just whatever it is, you take the punches and you get back up. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you today about your topic of size inclusion and diet culture. And I want to dig into uh, a little bit more about the business, of course, um, Mm -hmm. but also about, um, about these eating disorders. So let's start with the size inclusion and diet culture, because there's not a woman that walks this earth that has not either apparently or at some time or is going to, right? So this is a past, present, and future situation here. Um, And so I would love to talk about that and just give everything you have there. So diet culture is everywhere in our society. And That term is so easy to be thrown out, but I really want to make sure that I go back and define what diet culture is. So diet culture is equating living in a smaller body to moral superiority. So we see this all the time. Like when we're as, as women, I'll speak to just women right now, but we, we so often will say, I've been so bad. I can't believe I ate that. I need to be good tonight. I need to not eat that. I'm trying to be good. This idea of attaching morals to food and our bodies, that's what diet culture is. So it's that link between morals and your body size, morals and your food. That's what that relationship is. That's diet culture. And it is just everywhere and all pervasive in our society and very subtle too. Cause like, there's nothing wrong with eating nutritious things. Like I think it's great. Like there's nothing wrong with moving your body to make it feel good. Like that's not at all what I'm saying it's just that link between morals if you live in a larger body you are seen as morally inferior to somebody that lives in a smaller body um and so we see this everywhere in our society it's it starts from the time we're young and it's we're just inundated constantly and what i've seen a lot in it's really interesting actually because in the boutique we're we're size inclusive so we carry extra small through 6x eventually i want to get us to a 10x um just it takes a lot of money and there's a lot of issues with access and we'll talk about that later with the um ethical fashion yeah that's that's a whole nother topic um but we're size inclusive and so we get people in all bodies coming in and really interestingly it doesn't matter what size of body somebody lives in. The conversations that we hear in the fitting room are almost, I mean, it's like, it is the same thing over and over. Like, I don't like this about my body. I don't like this. Oh, I look this. Oh, I look that. And like, and you know, these things, right? Like we, we all know as, as women and our friends, like we'll get together and we'll say, Oh, this, Oh, I'm getting old. Oh, this, like we just do this constantly. And it's a real problem. It's a real problem because what is it doing? It's distracting us from what what else we could be doing. Like, what if we took all that energy that we're spending, like hating our bodies and actually focused it on what we're passionate about? So I'm really, really passionate about size inclusion in the ethical fashion space specifically because we, our boutique has been through a massive transformation over the last year. Um, It's been a year now specifically um, from this fast fashion world, which is a very high turnover, very trend focused to slow fashion. So sustainably sourced items, ethically made things. And the size inclusive piece of the puzzle, I'm telling you, it does not exist. Like, Trying to find clothing that has been made with a purpose and made thoughtfully and handcrafted above a size large 
is almost impossible. Not entirely possible. There are just a handful of brands that are really have been the forefront leaders in these um, in this movement. But it is, I mean, almost impossible to find inclusive sizing. And so we've spent a long time um, this last year really working to do to try to fix this because the morals and body size have nothing. They're not linked. They're not linked. And 70% of people identifying as women in the States are above a size 14. So by not making clothes above a size large, you've excluded 70% of the population. I can go on and on about this, really. It just infuriates me. It's, It's infuriating. It's like, hello, like this is not, these are not two, these things are not equal, you know? Yeah. And it too, you know, I see that even I have grandchildren. So even in shopping for clothes, like, you know, they wear this size in this brand, but this size in that brand, there's oh, yeah. no consistency across the board. And then you None. grow up and you're looking for a fancy dress and you're like, I'm not buying that dress because I, I'm not buying a large, right? Yeah. Like if you can't buy a medium because that's a size you wear, you're not buying yeah. that dress. You're going to go find a medium that fits you. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. like a mental thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the really fascinating thing is, is I have to, I have to tell a little secret on the fashion industry. So in our, in our adventure to find size inclusive things and ethically made clothes, being incredibly frustrated, we decided to launch our own line. So our line hope continues. It's made of hemp, organic cotton and linen it's launching in spring of this year. It's extra small to five X. So excited. Um, but So we're making all these clothes, right? And I'm talking to the person who I'm in, um, who's um, my production partner is what they're called, right? And she goes to me, she's like, okay, well, how do you want the sizing to be? I'm like, what do you mean? How do I want the sizing to be? She's like, well, do you want, like, what do you want the sizing? Do you want the, the small to be small or small, like small to be medium, small to be large? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there is no standard. Like these brands are making up how they want their size, their sizing to be. Like I literally could give her any measurement and she would stick the size small on there. Like I was, I was blown away. I was blown away. Like women, in- women are identifying oh, their yeah. worthiness, right? Yeah. Uh, and their self-esteem and their success in their lifestyle by the size that's inside that pair not, pants or that sweater. How do you want it to be? I'll never forget that. I was like, what do you mean? How do I want it to be like the normal sizing? And she's like, no, that's not, it's not how this works. <laughs> so yeah, little secret of the fashion industry right there. It, li- it really is all made up. Like I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like it's all made up. Oh, Julie, you, yeah. you just changed so many lives today. <laughs> Somebody's going to eat a chocolate chip cookie because of you. <laughs> because, just, uh, yeah. You just validated like, you know, the dressing and the dressing room. I don't know what they do with the mirrors, but you know, you go shopping and you try on 10 things and they look great on you in the store. (laughs) And then you get home and you put them on again. And you're like, what was I thinking? Was I even in the room? Why is that? What is that about? What's happening? Uh, That I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, It's the lighting, the lighting, and then the, the angle of the mirror. Like it's not... We just, as women, put so much pressure on ourselves and we tear ourselves apart in those fitting rooms. I mean, again, any size body does this. People in all sizes like tear themselves apart. So in our in our boutique in um, Oregon City, Oregon, we have what I call the affirmation mirror. And so it has positive things that people wrote on it right now we just have our staff doing it because you know covid but um it has like i am more than my body i am beautiful i deserve to feel beautiful like all just sorts of different positive messaging that we really want people to see instead of berating themselves in the mirror because it's just so automatic for all of us to do we really have to like actively counter it you know yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Wow. So here's my question. And we're going to go and in, move into this eating disorder right now, because <laughs> I don't understand a lot about it. But I yeah. do know that we have listeners that are dealing with it. They have kids mm-hmm. that they don't know what to do with. So 
I think one of my biggest questions is about, um, you said you had anorexia and bulimia. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now is this something you're born with or is this created by how you're raised, uh, what you hear and see? Like, give me some background on that. Yeah. So eating disorders are very, very complicated. Um, they, what we know about the causation right now is that they're a combination of biological factors. So they are highly heritable. They have a a similar heritability as schizophrenia. So very like highly heritable. They, they often run in families. Um, So there's the biological piece and there's also psychological factors. So people with um, eating disorders have very similar personality traits. So You'll often see a lot of um, perfectionistic traits, um, risk avoidant, um, and anxiety. There's often a lot of that kind of co-occurring anxiety, depression. Um, I had obsessive compulsive disorder. So all those kind of traits kind of play a role in it too. And then we also have this societal piece, which is our diet culture um, society that equates small bodies to moral superiority. So eating disorders are kind of like a perfect mix of all of those factors. So just because, I mean, we all live in the same society and if eating disorders were only about that one societal piece, then we would see a lot more eating disorders. Um, There's a ton of disordered eating, which I want to make that distinction. So disordered eating is like pretty much everybody in our society. It does not have a positive relationship with food. Um, anorexia specifically um, affects about 1% of the population. So it's really not that common of a um, disease. But yeah, because there's a lot of different factors that kind of play into the development of an eating disorder. Okay. And so what is the difference between anorexia and bulimia? Mm-hmm. I know they're, each one has their own like little devils, right? So yeah, what, absolutely. What, what is the difference between those two? So if we're talking behaviors, um, anorexia is primarily restriction of, of food. Um, that is the primary primary um, piece in anorexia is, is food restriction. There's some types of anorexia, so they can be um, purely restrictive, or there's a subtype called binge purge anorexia as well. So that's when the person eats a small amount and then... Um, rids themselves of the food, primarily through um, vomiting, laxative abuse, or overexercise. So that's anorexia. Bulimia is characterized by consuming large amounts of food and then ridding the body of it. So think, um, you know, entire, an entire box of whatever, like people's binges can um, vary, but it's characterized by that binge followed by a purge, um, which would be vomiting, laxatives, exercise, um, whichever way that person chooses to engage in those behaviors. But one one thing about eating disorders that's a very common misconception is that the people, you have to lose weight in order to have an eating disorder. And that is not true at all. People, you cannot tell if somebody has an eating disorder by looking at them. So someone doesn't have to lose any weight and they can be very clearly or very much in an eating disorder um, like anorexia. It's, it's more about the behaviors and the mindset than the actual weight loss. Like it's, you can't tell someone has an eating disorder by looking at them. It's really, um, and they're really good at hiding it. Yeah. And it's like an invisible disability then, right? Because Mm -hmm. you can't see it. So at what age were you when this was discovered about yourself? Mm -hmm. I was 14. 14 by the time I was first admitted to the hospital. Um, So I developed OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, Again, OCD and anorexia are highly, highly linked, like very, very linked. Um, And I developed that earlier. So I was about 10 or so when I developed that. And then that just kind of led into my eating disorder. Um, I was full, full, fully anorexic by the time I was 13. And first hospitalized when I was 14 years old. And I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Like my mom, um, you know, I was laying on, laying on the hospital bed, you know, machines hooked up to all these machines and all these noises beeping. And like, I didn't, it didn't really occur to me that my mom was going to have to leave. Like it just didn't occur to me that I was going to be all alone in this hospital. And I, I just remember looking at my mom. I was like, mom, I'm just like, 
I promise I'll eat. Like, I promise I'll eat. And she, I, I had to stay. I had to stay. It was, and that, that cycle. Be, oh, that had to be horrible. so hard for you and so hard for her. I know, like, I know I can't even imagine. And now you yeah. have children of your own. So you can put yourself as the mom now and yeah. like your heart is ripped out. So, yeah. So what would you say to other moms? Uh, what could they look for? Because this is invisible. Uh, what could they be looking for at that 10 year old mark? that yeah. would show the signs where they might get a handle on it before it really goes out of control. Yeah. Early, that early intervention is key um, that we really want to make sure that we're intervening early with these kids. Um, so you want to look for a change, any kind of change in food behaviors and secrecy is a really, really big one as well. So if the person that you're concerned about is suddenly withdrawing more not wanting to engage in any kind of social interaction with food. That is definitely a red flag. Um, another red flag is they'll often wear really baggy clothes um, because often weight loss is associated with a eating disorder. I mean, more often than not, a, a, a child will lose a certain amount of weight. So they'll often wear baggy clothes as well. But the, the obsession, um, the preoccupation with food and then the hiding things is a really, really clear indicator that something, something is going on. And if, um, if you do notice things like that, our foundation website, um, maryrosefoundation.org, we have a list of resources on there that will point you to, um, this, I think it's called support. I think the tab is called support. Um, that'll give you a list of um, resources on who to reach out to because you really do want to make sure you're intervening early. Mm, that's what I think. I feel like, you know, yeah. so many adults struggle with this. If we could grab it where it's first showing up and before yeah. it gets out of control. Absolutely. Get, yeah, get a control of it. So, Absolutely. and I have to ask you because Mary Rose is the name of your boutique and your foundation. Who is Mary Rose? My mama. My mama. Uh, yeah. Oh, so, my mom's that. middle name is Mary Rose, and my mom has always been my number one support to this day. I am in my mid thirties now and I still call my mom and I'm like, mom, I need, I need some advice and I need this. But if it wasn't for her and my dad, like, I really don't think I would be around. I mean, I don't think I would be here if it weren't for them, um, you know, saving my life by putting me in treatment so many times. Yeah. Amazing. And you say so many times. So how many times did it take for you yeah. to actually get control of this? And what was the thing? What was the breaking point where you were like, okay, this is the last yeah. time. Let's talk it's, about that. You know, it's funny that you asked that question because I don't know. I, I cannot tell you an answer on that. I don't know how many times I was in treatment. Um, it was countless. Like I really don't remember a lot from when I was a teenager. Um, the eating disorders will do that. I mean, think about it. Your brain is literally starving. And uh, I don't remember. I don't remember. All I know is like I was in and out of treatment from the time I was 13, 14 um, until my early 20s. And like, there's obviously things I remember, but I don't, I was, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. And for the longest time, I didn't want to get better. It's like, I don't want to do this. Like, why would I get better? I don't want to gain weight. I don't want to you know, risk my, um, OCDs, like thoughts. I had like super intrusive thoughts that really were very scary for a 10 year old. Um, and I'm like, I don't want that to come back. I don't want to gain weight. This, I'm fine. This is great. Um, but you know, the funny thing about eating disorders, any kind of addiction is they eventually stop working. So the thing that you are trying to run from are behaviors will have, like they continue to increase until it's at this level that you cannot maintain. Like I was going to die. Like I'm not, I'm not being dramatic. Like it was to the point where, you know, I was doing self-injury and suicidal and all of those things. Right. And it just got to the point where it was like, if I don't change something, like I am going to die. And I'll be honest, there was a big part of me that was like, you know what, that's fine that's fine. I don't want to do this anymore. And it wasn't until I was babysitting my cousins who at that time were one twin one-year-old girls. And my 
disabled nephew. He was four. I believe he was four at the time. Um, he could never talk. He was, he was mobile. So he walked, uh, he was not verbal and I was babysitting them. I had no business babysitting them. Um, but I was, and I remember I ate something and, you know, when you're in the midst of a eating disorder, what do you do? You lock yourself in the bathroom, right? That's what you do. doesn't matter if you're watching little kids, right? Cause you, you know, your brain's not working. Um, I kept the girls were safe. Like I put them in their little playpen, but, um, I remember Matthew, the little boy was like just banging on the door and he couldn't talk. And so I was just like, it's okay, buddy. I'll be right out. It's okay. It's okay, buddy. I'll be right out. So 20 minutes later, I'm, you know, washing my hands. And then I just, I catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I looked at that person and sunken eyes, sunken cheeks and red, blotchy, like just pale. Like I looked like death and I like saw myself for the first time. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing to myself? And so I go out and I, I go get the girls and Anna, one of the little, one of the little twins, I remember she looked at me and she looked me in the eye and she gave me a big hug. She was one, like just over one. And I swear that little girl saved my life because it was maybe a month after that I checked myself into treatment for the first time, like on my own accord. Every other time had been my folks sending me there, but that was that moment. I was like, I don't want to die. I didn't want to die anymore. So that's, that's what finally, finally broke me were those, those sweet little, sweet little munchkins. And how old were you then? 20, 21, 22. Wow. Yeah. So early 20s. A lot of years. That was seven, eight, nine years, right? Mm -hmm. That, yeah. that you had dealt with that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So they were a gift, right? They were such a gift yeah. to you. Um, and they are my, um, the little boy passed away, uh, just a couple years after that. Uh, but the girls are now like seniors in college, seniors in high school, excuse me. And I'm just like, I told them that story actually not long ago. Cause I, I talk about it in my, in my book. Right. Um, and so I was doing a, a talk for it and the girls and their mom came and I was like, I don't think I've ever told you this story. So let me just tell you what happened 15 years ago. And so it was, that's good, but oh, Julie, that's amazing. Well, yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned your book because that's where we're going next. So, oh, tell us about your book. So fun. Yeah. So I wrote a I wrote a book. Uh, it's called The Courage to Hope, and it's a memoir slash memoir kind of self help book. So I do uh, I journaled throughout my entire struggle with um, my eating disorder, and so I put a, um, a journal excerpt. That's a hard word to say at the beginning of every chapter. And then I go into like a story that's like surrounding my life at that time. And then what I do is I go into tangible ways. Like I went from this point to this point. So the titles of the chapter are like hopeless to hopeful. So I kind of take the reader from this hopeless place into where I am now, which is very hopeful and how I was actually able to do that. Cause I didn't, I never want to, glamorize eating disorders, um, often in the literature for eating disorders, specifically, um, things are pretty glamorized. Um, there's often pictures, there's often numbers, there's often just like detailing actual behavior. And when I was younger, that's how I learned how to be a good anorexic, right? Was reading all the books. And so I was very, very mindful when I was writing this, I was like, I'm not going to put in numbers. There are no pictures. I will never tell people how much weight I lost. I will never tell people what weight I was at because it's not about that. And that really takes away from the feelings. It's like you can read all of that and then you just see the number and you're like, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not sick enough. So people with eating disorders are very tricky like that. Um, but yes, that's long story short. That's the book. So it is a memoir self-help book and how I got from that point to where I am now. Oh, that's amazing. So and I love that you were able to be healed and now be able to share what you know to help other people so that they don't have the same struggle. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, let's do this. Let's tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah. 
So Instagram is definitely the best place to find us. Um, MaryRose.boutique is our main one. Um, that links you to the foundation as well. If you're more interested on the foundation side, um, that'll link you there. So that's uh, MaryRose.boutique can go into our little link thing and then you can find all of our, all the things that we do. So that's Love definitely it. the best place to find us. Love it. And of course, for our listeners, everything is in the show notes. So while you're listening, just hit the show notes and it'll take you right there and you can click right through and get to Mary Rose. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. Okay. So Julie, this has been so fun and so educational. Like this is what it's all about is just impacting people, giving them the information, telling them what to look for and how they can get through it. Right. And give them hope. And that is the biggest thing is that on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners that we're going to bring them fierce female entrepreneurs, and we're going to just share their expert zone of genius, and that they're going to learn things they can put into place right away, so they can see a difference right away. And we have done that today, I'm sure, in such a great way, thanks to you and your story. Uh, But we also promised them we are going to pull back the curtain because people are comparing themselves. And when they see you and your success and your boutique and your foundation, they think she's so lucky. Oh my gosh, right? Lucky? You want to smack them? Yes, luck doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, But yes, but they they see this finished part. They don't see the journey. And so they think you're lucky. They think you're, you know, born on the right side of the tracks with the best parents and the best education and all of that. And they never see what you really went through. So we're going to do it right now. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it. Let's take this journey. Okay. So we're pulling back the curtain. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the good. So Mm -hmm. tell us a good or a great story about this journey that you've taken. My absolute favorite thing is being in the storefront when people in all bodies come in and shop and most of the time when people come in they think I'm not going to find anything I'm you know I'm not I'm I'm not built like that like I'm not going to find anything because that's the experience so many of us are used to having in the fitting room right is just this nothing's going to fit it's going to end in tears like it's a bad idea not doing it Um, but when people come in And they find things that actually make them feel good and feel beautiful. Like that lights me up because it lights them up. When somebody comes out of that fitting room that has not had the best experience shopping, um, it's very common. I mean, most of us have had terrible experiences shopping at some point in our lives. Um, but when it's a pattern over and over again, it's just defeating. Like we've all, we all know what that feels like. Just this feeling of like, I'm not good enough. Something is wrong with me. And when people go into that fitting room, I tell them, it's like, okay, num- number one rule, no crying in the fitting room. If it doesn't fit you, it's fine. There's more things here. Like, don't worry. You have to love it. If you don't love it, you're not going to wear it. If you're not comfortable, all those things. And seeing people come out of that thinning room with that little glimmer in their eye, like, oh my gosh, I feel beautiful in this. It's so rewarding. Like that is, that is my absolute favorite thing to see is people, um, women like feel good about themselves because we are so freaking hard on ourselves. Oh, I love that. 
I yeah. love that. You know, and I once heard, and I don't know, it might've been a conversation I had with you that your clothes are supposed to fit your body. Your body oh, yeah. is not supposed to fit mm-hmm. your clothes. Absolutely. And yet here we are trying to shove ourselves into yeah. our jeans that, you know, we're worried about wearing the jeans we wore in high school or fitting yeah. into our wedding dress. 20 yep. years later, like how crazy is that? Like, I know. And yet that's like the mentality of that. And that I just cool. can't even, yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. And how it about is. this? Cause I've been guilty of this. Like I've had a few favorite outfits and they're, they're now a little too small and I mm-hmm. can't wear them and I don't part with them. Like, mm-hmm. what would you tell women that are holding on to those clothes that, <sighs> that they, I mean, it is a mental thing. Absolutely. How do you break that? Like, what is the best advice you could give them to like, it doesn't fit. What are you going to do? Yeah, that's hard because we all do that. We all do that. And there's, you know, there's this message in society, like these are your goal pants. I'm going to put these in there here. And they're like my goal pants, right? And we've all been guilty of this. But what I like to tell people is you deserve to feel good now. In this moment, you deserve to feel beautiful, no matter what size your body is in. We've been living through a global pandemic. Everybody's body has changed. And it is, it is, it's a fact. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It just simply is. And each of us deserve to feel beautiful now. So what I like to tell people is, is we are going to find something that makes you feel beautiful in this moment. If you are not ready to get rid of those clothes, I honor your journey. Wherever you are, we will meet you there, but you still deserve to feel beautiful now. So find something that makes you feel good now. That is perfect. That is perfect advice. Oh my gosh. So you can live now, right? And not Mm -hmm. worry about like, Oh yeah. Everything you put in your mouth, you're thinking those jeans are never going to zip, right? Like crazy. All right. Oh, well, that was so great. Okay. Now we're going to the bed. So tell us a story about the bed. Not the other. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to go to the bed. We got to ease them into this. (laughs) So who remembers the pandemic? (laughs) Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. So Uh, Yeah, the whole pandemic has been really, really challenging, obviously. Um, March 2020, I want to just paint a little bit of a picture for everybody to kind of tell everybody where I was at during that time. March 2020, I was seven months pregnant. Um, We have a store, we had a storefront, still have the storefront, um, and we had a small online presence. seven months pregnant. Did I mention that? I had a three-year-old at the time too, just three. And we had to close the storefront. I had to close the storefront. So that was the start of the bad. But 2020 was absolutely wild because what happened was everybody was home. So we started like doing more like live selling, right? Like we really like showed up for our customers and it wasn't really me because I was real pregnant at the time. Um, but I had a, a team that, you know, would do, do like the live selling, do more, do more of that stuff for me. Um, so we actually, this is bad. Actually it is bad. I know it sounds good, but it's not. We ended up um, doubling our revenue from 2019 to 2020, okay? But it was actually bad because what happened during that time was I lost sight of my business and my vision. We had a staff that was not in line with my vision, and what I wanted, um, what I ultimately wanted for the business. And that was really freaking hard because it's like you see all the, all the sales are coming through and it's still not right. Like there was something that was wrong and it took me a really long time to figure that out. But our staff that we had at that time was very, very challenging. And I think we don't talk often enough about how challenging 
having a team really is, especially if you as the leader lose sight of your vision. And I'm, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to be hard on myself about that because we had, we have a global pandemic. I had a three-year-old and I had a newborn and my husband's a first responder. There was an, uh, an insane amount of stress and pressure that we were under. And, but it, in all of that, like I lost sight and I was not showing up as a leader. And so my team kind of went a little awry and then the business went a little awry. And that was very hard, very, very hard, very hard. So that brings me to a question that I was kind of holding on to about um, hiring, right? Uh, And so now that you're bringing this up about your team and, and yeah, it is not always easy to lead. And especially, you know, you had, you know, a pandemic, uh, a baby, an infant, you know, and a a youngin. And, you know, so that just makes it crazy. But what advice now that you've gone through that, right, Mm -hmm. of like, the losing the vision and not being in alignment. What would you say about um, hiring a team? What great Mm -hmm. advice would you have now that you've come to the other side of that? A team is critical, critical, critical. But where you want to start is like, you really have to kind of know yourself, first of all, and know what your strengths are and also your weaknesses Um, so what we do now is we hire slow, like quick to fire, slow to hire, right? Like you really want to take that time to figure out what you actually need, because I know what I'm good at, right? Like I, I, I know where, where my strengths are. And I also know what I really suck at anything with Excel. Like I can't tell you, like I said the word Excel and I'm like, I'm bored. Like, let's go have coffee. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, But so you really, like when hiring people, it's best to look at what you're good at and then what you're not good at and then fill the roles with what you're not good at. Because so many times we want to hire someone exactly like us. Terrible idea. And that's what I did. That's what I did like years ago. And that's what got us into the whole mess of me losing the vision and all of that stuff. Um, but now I have, like, I can't even tell you how amazing our team is now. Like, so amazing. And that's just because we took the time to really figure out what exactly we needed and what I sucked at and what they were good at. Oh, that helps, right? That helps. Yeah. Get that in the, get that list made, right? Know what you don't yeah. love. Yeah. I know. I think it just drains your energy, too. Like you said, you're like, oh, even just saying the word makes me bored and I want to go have coffee. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's so draining when you force yourself to do the things that don't bring you joy. If you could just yeah. separate that yeah. and do the things, you know, I mean, the thing still has to be done, even if yeah. it's not fun. But there's yeah. somebody out there that loves it. Right. They love numbers. They love to organize. They love like whatever it is. And there's other people that love to like communicate and they love to make new friends and they love to network and they love to yeah. sell, right? Like it's oh. our our general manager. I can't, I just, she loves Excel. Like this woman makes an Excel spreadsheet for everything and it brings her so much joy. She's perfect for the job. Uh, she's perfect for us. I know. I still like I can't even believe it. I'm like, loves Excel. She does. She loves it so much. It's so much. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it, it makes it so much easier and gives you so much more balance in operating a business when yeah. you have people in their strength zones. They're happy. They're not looking for a job, right? Yeah. They're loving coming yeah. to work every day. You're in your joyous moments because you're doing what you love and you're not having to do it all. I just think that's right. so smart. All right. This has been fun. But mm-hmm. we've got to talk about the ugly. I got so a lot of that too. Yes. You know, I think the more successful you are, the more ugly you have endured. It, you know, people give up too soon. There's more ugly coming. Don't give up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's more around the corner. Oh my gosh. Yep. But, uh, you know, I always say this, that it's through the times of the ugly moments that we learn the most when mm-hmm. we're doing great right? We're the teacher, but when we're not doing great, we're the student and that's where we learn the most. And so let's give them our ugly story today. No problem. (laughs) I'll have another one next week, probably. Um, 
So I mentioned, I, I alluded to that we switched our entire boutique from um, fast fashion to slow fashion. So like I mentioned in 2020, we doubled our revenue compared to 2019. But with the cost of that was me losing the entire vision of my business. Um, it became this like very fast paced churning of clothes and overconsumption and so much plastic and all the things that I'm just not like completely were not in alignment with how I, how I am. And there was one time that we were prepping um, for a really big live sale, probably like a hundred pieces or so that I was just going to, and go on, you know, Facebook and just blast through, right? And I was in the warehouse and I looked and for the first time, I swear, I just saw all the plastic and all the clothes that were very like cheaply made and made out of materials that were not good for the environment. Um, again, all the plastic. We actually had a corner in the warehouse that was dedicated to trash that there was not room for in the trash can. There's so much trash because in fast fashion, not only does every single piece of clothing come wrapped in plastic, it also comes on a plastic hanger. I don't really know why. Um, just as much plastic as possible is what we're doing here. And uh, so all that we had all that success. And all that success with fast fashion. And, you know, we were good at it. Like, I can, I can sell things. Like, that's, it's not, not an issue. Like, we want to sell things, I can sell things. I have my team, they can sell things. Um, but my heart was saying something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And it kept getting louder and louder and louder. And then when I finally realized, I was like, I can't do this. Like I am promoting, like the fashion industry is bad. Fast fashion is bad. It, it uses child labor. It exploits women. Women are not being paid. They are being abused in factories overseas. Like there, it is not good. And then the uh, amount of trash, like I said, it's the second biggest um, contributor to overall waste and pollution in our world. Second to oil. Like that's bad. And like this overconsumption mindset that, that we all live in, it's that, it's that still you're never enough. You, you're not enough. You need to go buy this. You need to buy this new item every single day in order to maybe be good enough. But then we're going to turn around and try to sell you something else. So you're still not good enough. And I just couldn't do it anymore. So this was early 2021. And my husband and I run the business together. And I looked at him and I was like, can't do it. I can't do it. I, I cannot do this. We are contributing to all of these problems and I can't do it. And he looked at me and he said, you are going to lose the entire business. And I said, no, I won't. I'm going to switch it. Whew. So we switched an entire business. Mind you, we had a 3000 square foot, no, excuse me, 5,000 square foot warehouse and a storefront that's 2000 square feet full of fast fashion, full. So we spent the entire year of 2021 switching out everything. That was a lot of clothes. And so we, we did, we went from fast fashion to slow fashion and it has not been easy. It has probably been the ugliest thing we have ever done up until this point. I mean, again, talk to me next week and I'll tell you something else that happened. Um, but we, we had, over a hundred vendors um, at the height of 2020, uh, 2020 fast fashion craze. And now we're down to maybe 10. Um, and like I mentioned, we have our own line coming out because that was another massive hurdle was that there's hardly any size inclusive options in the ethical fashion space. It's like, fine, I'm going to do it myself. If you, people can't do it, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, that whole, the whole thing is just hard. And the bit, the best advice I can give you is like, don't lose sight of your vision. Don't lose sight because when you do, that's what causes that. Like, we all know that feeling I'm talking about when you're, when you're doing and you're doing and you're doing, because this is what you're supposed to be doing. But then you have this voice over here. That's like, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Something is wrong. And eventually 
eventually it's going to explode, right? And you're going to be so lost and be like, what did I just do? So don't do that. Just don't lose sight of your vision. That's what I'm going to tell you all to do. Oh, that's amazing. And now you guys are great. You're switched over. I would love for you to take a second to, to just describe for listeners who don't follow fashion, uh, what is the, what is the meaning of fast fashion and slow fashion? And, you know, how do they know that? And and why is it important? I mean, I know what you said so far, but for, yeah. as a consumer, they're out shopping, you know, how do right. they make decisions about what they're going to do? Most of them think, oh, this is sharp, or this is cute, or this will look good yeah. on me. Right. So they're not thinking that next layer of, you know, how was it made? Where was it made? What is it made of? It's not easy either. There's so much, um, what's called greenwashing. Like when brands like say they're doing all these sustainable things and you're like, well, no, you're not like, it's, it's really not easy to like, to deduce what is actually happening a lot of the time. Um, but fast fashion is the massive, um, production of clothing, um, massive production, cheap costs, cheap cost, someone's not getting paid or they're not getting treated well. Um, so we, it's just this constant turn, right? So it's like chasing of trends. Um, cheap, think, um, think massive amounts of clothing at cheap price. That's what you can think about when you think fast fashion. Um, there, it's definitely a little bit more to that because then we can start talking about like the materials that something is made out of. Um, polyester is a primary thing that a really good portion of things are made out of and polyester is a form of plastic, plastic again, and polyester does not break down in a landfill. So the average American throws away about 71 pounds of clothes a year into a landfill. Even when you donate stuff, um, a lot of it still ends up in a landfill, a lot of it. And polyester will not, it takes 300 years to degrade. And why it's degrading, it's releasing chemicals the entire time that the local people are because we ship them overseas of course that's what we in the states do we ship them overseas and so people in the countries um are being exposed to all the toxins from all these clothes so that's what fast fashion is slow fashion is style and fashion that takes into account humans the environment and animals So when you buy slow fashion, what we're talking about is the material that something is made out of. So all material um, causes some footprint on the environment. It all does. Organic cotton is great. It uses a lot of water. Hemp, hemp is my favorite material because it doesn't use much water, naturally biodegrades. um, And it's, it's like the most sustainable material, hemp. I'm telling you, it's the next thing. Um, but also, so you have the materials and then you have how something was made. So it often does come at a more expensive price, um, because every person in your supply chain got paid. And when I say there's no such thing as a $5 t-shirt, it's like, let's, let's take that $5 t-shirt and backtrack a little bit. Who made that $5 t-shirt? how much did that person get paid? Because if I, as a consumer, only paid $5 for something, anybody else prior in that supply chain didn't get paid. It's really, that one's just math. Like it just doesn't, um, doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. Um, And so, yeah, that's what slow fashion is. It takes into account humans, um, environment and animals. Oh, Julie, this has been such a great conversation. I think we've covered everything from A to Z here today. I Yeah, do you feel it? <laughs> I do too. It has been amazing. And I know that this is going to speak to so many women uh, all over the world. And I appreciate you being here so much. And before we say goodbye, I just want to ask you this, you know, someone's going to listen to this on the in the car on the way to the mall, right? And they're going to go shopping. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to give them some some words of wisdom from you that they need to take into that dressing room when they go in and try on those new bathing suits for their, mm-hmm. for their winter vacation or, you know, that, that dress for that fancy party or for that wedding. What words of wisdom would you send them into that fitting room with? So we often tell people when they're going into a fitting room, especially if they're nervous about sizing or how things are going to fit or any of that, which let's be real is like 90% of us. Um, 
But what we tell people to do is don't look in the mirror initially. So what you want to do is um, go in the fitting room, try something on away from the mirror. So before you even look in the mirror, your checks are, is it comfortable? Can I move? Those are the only two things you need to care about at first. So once, once you try something on and you're like, okay, this is comfortable, I can move, then go ahead and turn around and look in the mirror. But don't start facing the mirror because nothing, nothing fits everybody. Like it doesn't matter what size of body you live in. There's things that fit you and there's things that don't. Like it really, it doesn't mean anything. It really means nothing actually. Um, but that's the best piece of advice I have is don't look in the mirror until what? until you decide it's comfortable. I love you that. You feel good first. I love that. And I love the rule at your store. There's no crying right. in the fitting room. I think right. we should just, that should just be the hashtag for every woman to go through and pick out what she wants to try on. And just yeah. that, just know we should make yeah. stickers or something. Uh, what are those bands? <laughs> Right. Oh no gosh. crying in the fitting room. No <laughs> crying in the fitting room. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been amazing. And to our listeners, I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl, get back up, whatever it is, you can do it. Tell them, Julie. That's right. Yep. That's right. Feel your feelings and then get up. You know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with being down and you know, feel, feel it, feel it. Cause it does suck. Like, let's be real. It sucks a lot of the time. And we're trying to run businesses during a pandemic. Like it's really hard. So feel it all, feel all those feelings and then get up. Cause get the world up. needs, world needs, the world needs it. Got oh it. We gosh. got work to do. The yeah. world does need it. Oh my gosh. Get back up girl. Get <laughs> back up. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.